0: Hey, this is Rob Onsbach, and welcome back to another edition of E-Heroes. My next guest is a serial entrepreneur for the last 20 years, and he's putting a lot of passion into helping other entrepreneurs, which is awesome. He's also the best-selling author of Side Hustle Millionaire.
1: I want to welcome Tony
0: Watley to the show, and I I just love that background. That is just awesome.
1: Well, thank you, Rob. I'm honored to be on your show and always enjoy your wit and your humor that you share online. and. (laughs) Good to connect in video and virtually, like we do nowadays in modern times. And yeah, thanks for a good time, man.
0: But you know your your whole philosophy, and 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 I'm looking at your logo uh, in the background. For those who are listening to this on audio, it says "365 Driven," and I have never, I have never seen anybody on the internet so driven like you that every day is another opportunity to to not not necessarily make money, but to educate people to entrepreneurs, especially on how to live a better life.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a testament to my discipline that I received from my parents, I would say. And <laughs> I had two very disciplinarian parents, and It's probably both extremes, where my mom was a Japanese immigrant. So I was born in Japan on a military base. My dad's a Vietnam combat vet, and we were stationed over there. And, you know, give you a, a disciplinary thing for my mom, she's really big on education. And so she valued education so much. She thought that my sister and I should also value education equally as much as her. And I never missed a single day of school from kindergarten through graduation. So I'm a 13 year perfect attendance person. So I got used to showing up every day. And I'll tell you that early on, I kind of complained about that because my kid friends would take time off and they would disappear. They go play hooky or whatever. And and I, it used to bother me that I couldn't do that, but probably a few years into it, I started to adopt it as my identity. It's like, you know what? Perfect attendance is pretty cool. Like, let me see how many I can do. So I really started to take it as part of my identity. I brought that into adulthood now. And now the other disciplinarian is my dad was a military sergeant. So I got all the barking orders and all the you know, do the right thing and show up on time and treat people with respect and open all the doors and all that stuff. So I've had a double dose of that. So yeah, me showing up every day is just kind of who I am.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think that's, that's <clears throat> one of the best disciplines to have as an entrepreneur showing up. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know, in fact, you know, I just had a, a new roof put on my house and siding and the whole, the whole gamut. And, you know, I, I talked to a bunch of people, they never showed up to do an estimate. So I called a, a, an Amish guy, and you think that they don't have phones, but they do. Yeah, he showed up, he was polite, he was, sarcastic like I am I'm like yep he's got the job
1: <laughs>
0: I mean he, he, he him and his crew worked 11 hour days for three and a half days and and they just knocked it out and and mm-hmm. they they were perfection oriented and that showing up to me is is 90 percent of the sale
1: yeah I agree I think that even on social media I mean I would say that you're very consistent as well because I always see your presence and you're always creating content and you know, humor and things like that to entertain us.
0: Although lately Facebook has not been very humorous back to me. (laughs)
1: Well, yeah, they don't, they don't like the way we say things sometimes. So they kind of get a little bit testy and they, they kind of want to shut down your algorithm and show your post to less people, depending on the keywords you're using, Rob, you have to be really creative with your keywords nowadays and misspell (laughs) them and put extra punctuation in the middle of the words. Like that's how you got to get around the AI robots. And you can't say throat punch.
0: That's, that's no, no, no violence, man. No violence.
1: Like one of my friends got, he got a warning on his account for saying dropping bombs. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Hey, let's talk about your book. I mean, I, I, I've written a lot of books, mm-hmm. but uh, yours is yours is, uh, you know, always top of mind when I'm, I'm trying to find something new to read. And, uh, I, and I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs who don't have it. And, and I think it's probably one that every entrepreneur should have at least in their library to reference it every day.
1: Yeah. I appreciate those, those words. I think that the thing is that I've been given advice on business for about 15 years. Although I've been a business owner for 20, you don't have a lot of experience or results in the first few years. So within the first five years, people are given and you know, coming to me for advice that started successful businesses and. I was happy to share that kind of stuff. And I resulted in helping at least 12 that I know of former staff and employees of, of mine build seven, eight, and nine. One's a nine figure business now. And so they're always telling me that I should be giving this advice. And man, I just had all the excuses not to do it. I didn't like being on camera. I didn't like putting myself out there. I was really good at being the MVP behind logos. And So the book was really like, Hey, what can I do to get my information out of my head and just put it out there into the world. And I don't have to get on stages and I don't have to be on TV and I don't have to make videos. And so I admit this now, I was kind of in a cowardly state of trying to extract the information from my mind to put it into a book. And it's funny because I meet a few other authors and they kind of say the same thing. They're like, man, yeah, you could be a New York times bestseller and nobody would recognize you. That'd be great. You know? And, and so where it went wrong which became right was that about four chapters in i was giving a chapter at a time to my editor and the editor was like man this is really good it's gonna do really good and and he's like someday they may want to interview you you may be on tv or asked to speak i was like oh crap here it is and so i had to invest in myself to become the right person and Mm -hmm. and so that's why i do what i do now but it wasn't intentional like that but the book itself it's how to really start your business. Because I think that at the water cooler talk, like in the corporate settings, there's always Barney and Steve and Susan that are always talking about, you know, someday I'm going to start a business. Someday I'm going to do this. Someday I'm going to do that. Someday, someday, someday. And and I've met so many of those people in my life over 25 years in corporate and none of them did anything. I think literally I, I thought about this last week. I, as a matter of fact, I said, there's less than five people that I can count on one hand that have actually took the advice I give them in a corporate setting and actually went and created a business five yeah. and I've had employees of teams of 7,500 and all these different people. So it kind of blows my mind. So I said, okay, how do these people get these past the idea phase for business? Cause everybody's got ideas and they pat themselves on the back. I, I got all these business ideas and they don't do anything with them. So I said, I got to get that idea out of their head, let them compare those ideas against their other ideas figure out which one's going to get them best odds of success and then kind of handhold them and walk them through the entire process to get it really zero to a million dollar revenue. That's kind of what that book is for.
0: I mean, I, I've been an entrepreneur, a full-time entrepreneur for about 28 years now. And, and uh, I, you know, the first three years I struggled, it wasn't until I was in the, in the, probably, uh, Oh, I would say five years into being an entrepreneur that I started getting success that I started learning how to do marketing that I, started learning how to do all this other stuff. But it, it, it took probably, you know, another dozen years before I finally wrote that first book. And yeah. people were like, oh, you don't want to write a book. That Books are passe. No, nobody reads books anymore. And I'm like, screw it. I'm, I'm doing it for me yeah. to see, one, if I can do it, and two, just to help my business a little bit. Yeah. I didn't want the fame. I didn't want the fortune. I, did, I just wanted some credibility. And when that book took off, I'm like, shit, now I have to speak. I have to do this. I have to do yep. that. And I'm like, and it, it scared me, but I did it. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote number two book and three book. And, and then I started writing books for other people. And now 36 books later, and after nine years, you know, people are like, wow, Rob, help me do this or help me do that. And I'm like, okay. And for me now, it's easy, but yeah. it, it took time. And I, I, I think most entrepreneurs don't want to put the time in.
1: You know, Rob, the the beauty of the title of author is it's something that's heralded. It's something that's well-regarded in any educated society. So you can't become an author until you actually publish a book. I used to write for all the automotive magazines, but I was a journalist or I was a contributing editor. I was a contributor. Like you're not an author until you publish a book. So you can be a writer, but you can't be an author. And so in a cultural, westernized society where we value books and education author is actually a really esteemed title if you were to go to a social setting and this is not specifically for you this is for listeners that haven't written a book if you go to a social setting and people are always shaking hands and telling you what they do and you're going to hear doctor and an attorney and like these are esteemed titles for most people but an author is also one of those top level esteemed titles that you can earn by writing a book
0: you know, and then if, if you're watching this on audio, you'll see that both Tony and I have bookshelves and they're filled with books. Now, mine are filled with a lot of my books that I've written, but I do have a few that are written by others. And you also have a bookshelf filled with books, and not just because we're we're authors, but we read a lot of what other people are also putting out because we want to see their point of view. We want to learn it's not just our ego. But we have to learn from others to be able to, you know, help others grow.
1: Yeah, and the camera doesn't show our desks. I have a stack literally (laughs) of twenty books. (laughs) I've got twenty books sitting there at least, and it's because of all the authors that you and I both know that buy their books, you support them, they send you books, and so we have this never-ending library that just love to be consumed.
0: Yeah, and and the thing about being an author, and you just touched on it, is you know we get a lot of books sent to us. Mm-hmm. so that we can read they might want a forward written or an introduction or, or 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 a review of some sort and so my stacks and stacks and i'm like i i had to force myself to speed read because it's like <laughs> this is going to take me forever to read but you know within about an hour or two i can read an average book and come up with some kind of review and and, and you know it's nice to be able to support other authors because i know the struggle
1: so my tactic on consuming book knowledge is really just audio books at 1.4 <laughs> speed. And that's how I do it. When I go to the gym or when I drive, anytime I'm commuting, I basically replaced music. So I love music, but I like books and knowledge more. So I go to the gym and I actually call that my learn and burn phase, right? Because I'm learning and I'm burning calories. And here's the thing. I don't really buy the hardcover or the soft cover until I've listened to it. If it's a great book and I go, you know what, I want that one on my shelf and I'm going to go review that one again, maybe highlight things inside the book, I'll go buy the paper version of that. But generally I'll start with the audiobook, and then if I like it, it makes it to that shelf and there's other shelves in other rooms just like your house.
0: The only downside to listening at a faster speed is when you meet the people in you know, real life and you're like, uh, can you talk faster because I'm used to
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true one of, the, one of the things that's cool about the audible app is that at any speed they still keep the tonality for voice because it'd be funny if you think it's gonna be like the simon and the chipmunks you know but it it really does keep their voice sound like the processing is really good on that stuff yeah.
0: now you know I, I i love the whole 365 driven but there is a backstory to that Yeah. and 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 i, I think a lot of people don't know that and and you like to race cars mm-hmm. and uh to me that's that's fascinating cuz you know i i i've seen people you know go to nascar and and they'll watch this and car and i'm thinking okay it's just a car going by there. but to yeah. me it, it's there's a level of, of 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 excitement that i don't think there's any other sport out there that gets people to participate in a way that nascar and racing cars does mhm
1: yeah, I've always been a car fanatic. Even as a child, I was running around with Hot Wheels in my hand and making vroom vroom sounds probably before I could even make a sentence. So <laughs> I think that for some of us, they're, we're just born that way. We're just kind of addicted to machinery and moving equipment. So for me, it's cars and military tanks and flying jets and things like that. So anything that was mechanical, I was always fascinated with. And that's really what led me to go to put myself through sc- college and become a mechanical engineer. And I thought I wanted to go design cars for a living, but they weren't paying very much in Detroit. So I have stayed here in Houston and got into oil and gas industry and it paid really well. So I was able to buy those cars instead of work on them. Um, Racing is something I've been doing since I was 18. I started out drag racing probably for the first 10 to 15 years. And then eventually I kind of got curious about road racing. And I knew that was a more expensive hobby. And it is because when you go road racing, especially on these cars that we run, it's a two to three thousand dollar weekend and when you're going a couple times a month i mean you're blowing six grand a month racing cars because a set of tires nowadays sixteen hundred dollars a set of tires and those are lasting three days on that track so it's not really that much of a you know it's a a high consumable type racing where drag racing is actually pretty cheap drag racing you're just going straight line unless you break something it's, it's it's pretty affordable racing and it's a lot of fun and you know so where it happens is Why I'm doing what I'm doing now is actually is a spinoff of something that occurred in 2015. I was in a near-death experience racing cars. I was actually at the drag strip. We're trying to set a new national record and a thousand horsepower, twin turbo Dodge Viper and somewhere in the top of third gear, around 130 miles per hour, something in the rear suspension broke, which caused the rear wheel to go steering for me and it would, I'm going straight. So I'm in the right lane and I go hard left and I'm aiming at the Jersey barriers. You know, And a two-door sports car about to make the impact on that side. And in that moment, I didn't have any fear, but I felt really peaceful. And it was really weird. It was like the Jesus take the wheel type moment. And I'm not a highly religious person, but it was something that you would think that like in the movies, when you're facing what you perceive as your near death, like you'd be panicked or you'd be freaking out. I was just really calm. And I remember in myself in that moment, I said, well, here I go. Mm -hmm. You know, the impact occurs and I'm looking at the damage after I finally get out of the car. and. You know, there's wheels off the car, the car is just destroyed. And a, a series of questions comes up when you're in that kind of a situation. and I know the listeners maybe have something that they can relate with or they've seen this or they've seen the passing of someone in front of them. And you start to think about how would I be remembered if I would have died right there? And you're looking at where it happened. And that's the course of questions for me. And I said, well, I don't know how I'll be remembered, but how did so-and-so get remembered? How did that person get remembered? And you go, okay, we were kind of the same. We're kind of the, you know, in the same circles, we were doing kind of similar things. And man, it was always like, nice guy, cool cars gone too soon. Like those three sentences kept popping up in my mind. And I said, okay, nice guy, cool cars gone too soon. It's like, is that enough? Is that really something to be proud of? And I was like, it's average. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, so do I want to live my life. And I was in my mid forties at that time. And I was like, do I want to live the rest of my life being average and then being remembered as average? And the answer is hell no. Like, I don't want to be average. I've achieved so much, but I would still been remembered the same as average because the thing was Rob is I wasn't impacting enough people with within my capabilities to do so. I knew that I could go impact millions of people, but I was hiding because I didn't want to be on stage and I felt uncomfortable putting myself out there and I didn't want to write the book and all these things that I'm doing now. So that accident and these series of questions is kind of thinking about what's your obituary going to read if you were to pass away today, right? And we get to create that. It's mm-hmm. all within our, our control, whatever we do to create that. So at that point, I decided, okay, I'm thinking that everything else beyond that day is a bonus life and then I need to make the most of it. And I'm going to, need to go create more impact. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I just knew that I had to go do something different and I actually left my oil career and I was making $250,000 a year. Some people thought I was crazy, 20 plus years. I was on the executive path. I said, I don't want to be in an industry that doesn't serve people anymore. And I'm going to go focus on doing something that will. And, you know, luckily I was in a financial situation to be able to go do that, but I didn't understand what I wanted to do for another two years, man.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I, I look at some of the entrepreneurs now and, and, you know, COVID really did a number on a lot of them
1: Yes, you know,
0: and and your phrase staying calm in the, in the moment resonated because a lot of these people, they had this moment. They had this, this two years of COVID and they didn't do anything. They didn't keep wow. their marketing going. They didn't keep, and, and then all of a sudden everything starts to open up and they're like, yeah, but what do I do now? I have nothing. My business went under because I didn't market. I didn't do this. I didn't and then they start to panic. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but you wouldn't have panicked had you just done something.
1: But now, I want to no. add to that. I want to add to that. 2020, right? We're in March of 2020. Everybody go back to that because that's when we were freaking out. And nobody knew what was going on. And they're showing videos of people literally passing out on the sidewalk in China. And we're like, holy crap, is this chemical warfare? What's going on? And so the media got us all stirred up in a frenzy and hyped up. And I get that. So... 14 days to flatten the curve. Like that's what they were telling us, right? So everybody go, okay, cool. We can we can take 14 days off because people are passing out on the sidewalk. Like we can do this, right? And so after a few months, you start to realize there's this is kind of a BS. Like there's a lot of hype going on here. That's like a control factor. And then they're trying to enforce things and force you to do things against your will. And they're talking about laying you off and they're calling you non-essential and that your business isn't worth anything. And so I was supposed to speak at four different events later that year. Those events all got canceled and I said, okay, well, I understand why, but they canceled them like knee jerk reaction in March and April, right? right? When these things were going to be later in the year, they didn't even give any time. And so, you know, within four or five months, most of us, especially here in Texas, we're kind of looking around and go, man, this is a bunch of BS. Like this is a game that's being played at a different level that nobody can comprehend. And I actually had my very first event in November of 2020. I was like, you know what? all these other people are hiding and going into hiding and closing things. Like I believe in my audience. I believe in who my customers are. We're going to host an event. And I'll tell you when we contacted that facility in Utah, right there in the heart of Zion national park, they were happy. They were so happy that we called them because they're like, people here are living normal in the Canyon. So I don't know why everybody's freaked out. Like, Mm -hmm. thank you for calling us. Like we would love to host your event. And we had the very first one in November and actually call it, the advance because I said, while everybody else is retreating, we're advancing. Mm-hmm. And for the next course of those two years, you and I both did this. We're very vocal about the things we see and the things we disagree with. Right. And yeah, let's be real like our Facebook memories right now are two years of I told you so's, <laughs> right? But the thing is, is that people saw that, man. This guy's actually taking a stand and he's actually believing in his people. And we got people, we had 40 people show up at that first event right. from all over the world. People from different countries and continents showed up. And so I went hard on betting on myself and my audience. And it really paid off in 20 and 2021. 20 While a lot of people, like you said, they went hiding. All these influencers didn't want to talk, talk about the touchy subjects. They kind of got quiet. And then now 22 hits and they're like, hey, we're back. It's like, no, you, you shouldn't have never left. You right. left your people hanging. You should have never left. You know, I, I like what
0: you just said, betting on yourself. And and there's a lot of people are like, oh, I should put my money in real estate. I should put my money in stocks and bonds and mm-hmm. put your money in yourself. That is your number one investment right now. And, and you know, it took me a long time to figure that one out. But once I did, it was like, I'm all in. This is what I'm doing. And this is how I'm going to do it. And people are like, well, Rob, you're doing it wrong. No, I'm doing it the way I want. Mm hmm not the way society or some other guru tells me this is how I'm doing things. And, and, you know, when, yeah, granted, I've written a lot of great books and people enjoy them. But when I started putting the whole Rob versus series out, which is my sarcastic take on dealing with scammers and lousy customer service and, and boy, over COVID lousy customer service took, it just went off the charts, you know, those provided, a moment of laughter for people they pick up the books they laugh there's a little bit of a, a life lesson at the end of each each story mm-hmm. but each book contains about 50 stories and people will call me up wow i laugh so hard my husband laughs so hard we want to hire you wow okay i've gotten more response from being sarcastic and and, yeah. and 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 letting people know who i am than i ever did with all the other books and, Man, I, and you, I and and I think that you and I both know that us individually, that's our personal brand. That's who people yeah. trust. They know, like, trust, and feel safe when you're dealing with us.
1: You know, most people in this space, we'll call it the personal development space. Most people take themselves way too seriously, especially guys that I get compared with a lot, like the alpha guys that are you know, doing some <laughs> alpha cool manly shit. Like most of them take themselves too seriously. You never see them make a joke about themselves or I use any self-deprecating humor. Literally, I just finished a year of improv comedy school. Like I went every cool. week and I did all the stuff and went through all five levels of that. And I've performed on stages and I said, hey, I'm already a speaker, but what other skills am I investing back into myself to become a better or more effective speaker or communicator, even on these podcasts, right? So I like the comedy thing and it's good. But humor is the one thing that trans." Mits across all different societies and all different people. Like everybody wants to laugh. Right? right. And so I enjoy that you bring that kind of stuff to it. And the post The we're snarky sometimes on our posts and it's fun because more people need like that. Cause there's too many people just taking themselves too seriously.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I've met a lot of people and, and sometimes I can be off putting, but I, I, I went to a convention and, 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 uh, I interjected myself into a conversation and one guy turns to me and goes, Rob, you're such an asshole. And I'm like, okay, great. And and the funny thing is, is later that day, we start having a conversation. I, I've, I've, you know, developed a relationship with this guy. We're, we're great. I mean, I've had him on the show. I mean, and, and it's, it's, sometimes you have to break the ice and you have to be a little rude to get someone's attention mm-hmm. and you're, it's either going to play one way or it's going to play the other. I mean, yeah. it's life. I mean, if if he said, "Hey Rob, uh, I'm never talking to you again," I'd be fine with that too. But it didn't, and and but the, I think there are people out there that push the wrong way or push yes. too hard, and and they they kill the sale right away, or that relationship that they think they're going to have.
1: So. I- A thoughtless thought leadership let's talk about thought leadership because that's that's the subject we're talking about here so to be a thought leader you have to be very bold with what your beliefs are and your opinions are that you know today and that's based on evidence data experience wisdom all those details that we look as data points we form an opinion but we have to be bold bold about putting it out there right now where most people get this wrong is they kind of put that out there and they build their identity around something that they used to believe in. And even if they change their mind internally, they're not going to go repeat what they truly believe in because they have built an identity around their old self or their old beliefs, real thought leaders go, Hey, you know what? I have new evidence, new data, new discoveries, new wisdom, I changed my opinion. This is why I've had different sources of input to come in, and I have a different thing that's formulated. And here's what I believe now. And you have to be equally bold with your new thoughts. Mm -hmm. So that's what a true thought leader is. And there's so few, so so few out there, especially online, that it's fun to just realize that, man, you don't believe what you're posting. I I know you. Like you do not. You're such a coward. You don't want to offend your aunt Sally. You don't want to offend your best friend. You don't want to offend your wife. Like. It's because you're being a coward. You're not a thought leader. You're a thought repeater at that point. You know,
0: I, I just tell everybody I'm an equal opportunity offender. That's right. I mean, just defend everybody and, and let the chips fall where they may. But I was watching one of your videos, and it's probably one of your intro videos on on uh, I think it was a website. And and the three points that I, I I picked out was was you know you you live your life trial and error. Uh, you want to provide a lasting legacy and and provide true freedom. And and that to me is the ultimate entrepreneur accomplishment. And and but you know people entrepreneurs right now they don't want to do trial and error. No.
1: They're,
0: they're not thinking about the future, and it, as to them, it's not true freedom because they want they still want assistance from the government. They want their free health care. They want this. They want that. Dude, okay. I, I haven't had free health care in twenty eight years. I don't know what that means.
1: You know, I actually got into a debate last week on another show with the host, conservative platform. And he was talking about how unfair the social media platforms are by censoring conservative voices. And I said, I agree that they are doing that. And then he started getting to the, well, I believe the government should regulate these platforms and the government should do this. And I was like, whoa, 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 you're sounding like you're far left progressive right now. You're asking for more government regulation. And it kind of stumped him. I said, you can't throw fire at the other side by using the ammo that you're complaining about them using. Like, so I said, these platforms, although we disagree with the way they behave, they're privately owned platforms, just like someone walking into your house, you can tell them to leave. Whether we like it or not, we can choose to use the platform or we can go somewhere else. And and he couldn't see the connection that the government being involved. And so I was like, dude, like you have to like understand, like whatever we throw at them, they can use against us later. Mm -hmm. so do you want more government regulation or do you want less government regulation right so yeah i love these topics he wouldn't change his position because he was (laughs) you know it's like it's just censorship it's just censorship and i was like dude i've owned some large large platforms with hundreds of thousands of members first amendment rights i love those but they don't apply on a publicly owned entity or a privately owned entity they just protect you from the government from picking you up that's all that that is
0: yeah and and the (laughs) I guess it's what called act 320 or act something something I, I, yeah. it, it helps protect some of these
1: you know I, it, it I, protects I, you from it protects the press from being sued yeah. for creating a, a story right so they're trying to position social media as being a press center kind of like the newspaper so that people can sue them for doing those kind of things not you know, that might be a, a solution, but that's not government regulation. That's just like treating them like who they are. Like if you're editing or post or censoring, you're acting as the media. Therefore, you should get the same rules as the newspapers.
0: You know, and I think what, what uh, some people forget is that social media is everywhere. Yeah. So they have to take in the government governance of the United States, Norway, France. I mean, all these other countries, they all have their own rules that's right. And so they're trying to create a system where okay, there's rules and it applies to everyone. You may not like them, so play nice. And, and you know, it's it's kind of hard for entrepreneurs to think that way because yeah. I I'm very vocal, you're very vocal, and anytime we can say something and and Facebook can shut us down. Yeah. And and to me it's like okay, whatever. I mean, I I I profited before Facebook I will succeed after Facebook. It's not exactly. a big deal. Um, but to me, it, it, it's, I've always thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I've never counted on anybody else. Yeah. I've been driven just like you. And, uh, you know, every day is a new adventure. But I, mean, I, I agree. I, I, I get I agree. out of bed and, and the first thing I do is I make my bed. And I, people are like, well, that's weird. No, but it gives me something that I've accomplished right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And then I go have breakfast. Get to my computer, do what I need to do, deal with customers. You know, and and my marketing may seem like it's everywhere. I mean, I, it looks like I'm all over Facebook and LinkedIn, and and a lot of that it's automated. Yeah. You know, I, I can't be in front of the computer 24 hours. But, no. You know, and I also can't be glued to this thing.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, the the I, electronic leash called the cell phone. I get it.
0: Um, you no, know, it's. I I've gone. I went to the mall the other day, and I I, I watched these kids they're they're not even entrepreneurs they're just you know regular teenagers yeah and they're on their phone more than i am and i'm like he, are, are you running a business oh man I mean, well, what's you going know on the
1: worst the worst offenders are the people at the gym it's like <laughs> they do a do one set and then they sit down <laughs> and, they, so and their head immediately goes to their phone and you're looking across and like all the equipment's taken up and they're all just sitting there looking at their phones it's like dude like do you want muscles or do you want to look at the internet like choose your your vice here like you're wasting everybody's time by just sitting there. So, you know, keep it in the gym bag. Like i listen to podcasts, but my phone's in the gym bag. I don't have it in my hand the whole time.
0: You know, I, 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 uh, I really like what you said there. Choose your vice. And a lot of people, I mean, I, I hardly ever drink alcohol anymore. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I mean, iced tea is, is probably my vice. I probably should cut that out, but I think everyone should have, one vice that they fall back on you know because we can't you know and i'm not saying that we as an entrepreneur should think you know business 24 7 but we do need to occupy our brain with something else that you know because for me over the summer mowing the lawn i push mow because it gives me exercise Mm -hmm. and enables me to think for an hour and a half i mean i put my headphones on play my 80s Mm -hmm. music and and i I come up with more ideas in that, you know, hour and a half of mowing than most people will come up, you know, in in a whole year of of doing whatever they do. But it it gives me that pause, you know, and and so I I think some people just need to get away from their business to think better, more clearly. But a lot of them don't do
1: conferences.
0: They don't go. Everything is Zoom now. I'm like,
1: don't get me started. You know, the funniest ideas, the funniest ideas are not developed in the boardroom. I say that they're developed in the bathroom. When you're in the shower or you're sitting on the pot, you yeah. can have some good thoughts if you're, you're doing things. And it's, it's funny how people just really don't understand. Like you need that isolation time to go get in your thoughts. And, you know, anytime I'm around running water, it seems to like have this effect on me. <laughs> running water. Yeah. I got to go to the bathroom now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pour some out into another glass here, and
0: <laughs> so what?
1: You know, this, this is this is uh, this is just kind of uh,
0: curiosity. But what's your favorite car?
1: My favorite car is always going to be a 1969 Camaro, and that's because that was the model and the car I drove in high school. I bought when I was 14 by mowing yards like you do, and I was walking dogs and working at McDonald's and. I bought a twelve hundred dollar sixty nine Camaro that was a rust bucket, and my dad and I restored that. And then when I turned sixteen, it was ready to drive, and I drove that all the way through high school. So it's kind of the touchstone that takes me back. And I still have one. I've built several, and you know now I build them at really high levels. They've been on covers of magazines, and you know some of the builds have been over two hundred thousand dollars. Like I, I build legit cars that actually get you know award winning things. So you know again, it goes back to the car fanaticism thing.
0: You know, and you throw out these numbers like it's no big deal. And there's there's probably a lot of entrepreneurs going, $200,000 for a car. and
1: you I know, Everybody have- thinks it's a Lamborghini. Everybody yeah. thinks that, you know, you get on social media and all the influencers, we should all have a Lamborghini with both doors open and stand in front of it with our arms crossed and mean mug the camera and, you know, flex the Rolex. I mean, I got all that stuff, but when it comes down to people asking like, what's your favorite, it's not the most expensive thing. That's my favorite. And if you're listening to this, like your favorite thing should not always be the most expensive thing you earn. That's kind of very materialistic and superficial. So what is it that gives you the highest emotional response? Like which one brings you back to your memories, which one brings a smile to your face when you get to experience or use that thing every single time and it doesn't ever get old. So to me, that's the classic cars. Yeah. I mean,
0: I always wanted a, a, uh, uh, Mustang and an old Mustang, like, a, I yeah. I think it was a 67. It was one of my, my dad had one growing up and, and, um, yeah, that was kind of my, you know, but now it's, you know, 50, 60 years later, you know, you look at Mustangs and you're going, no, I'm not getting that kind of You know? You know? So it, it's, my views have changed. Yeah. You know what I look for now. I don't look at these people that are posting pictures in front of their cars. 'Cause to mm-hmm. me that's not credible. Right. But I look at is referrals. You know, how have I helped somebody? You know, yeah. and, and I've gotten referrals that that when I look back and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I I I, I a lot of sweat, a lot of hard work and I helped that client and and this is what they've accomplished. And to me, that's not only gratifying for me, you know, but I know it's gonna last, you know, give them a lasting look impression and grow their legacy and and so that's what i look for
1: you know? you know you do it the right way because i see that there's a lot of coaches and consultants out there that like to shine the spotlight on their key clients because they kind of want to take some of the you know the the, the shine off of them and say like i did that door. they're only successful because i was their yoda and i led them and so it's always me 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 and i hmm. see this or somebody that's a, a an influencer will post some win that they had that they they oh i got this landed this awesome deal, or i got invited to do this keynote speaking and then sometimes you see their coach respond and they're like well that's because you're part of 365 <laughs> driven like they it's like they're trying to steal some of their credibility it's like dude that's so terrible like guys if you're listening and you have a coach that does that to you like get rid of those people because they should be the mvp in the background now if you decide you want to throw some bones back to the coach and say, Hey, thank you for everything you've done. Like, that's amazing. We greatly appreciate that. But we don't want to be the one that steps in any part of your spotlight. We want you to be able to build that for yourself and then grow that and, you know, Mm -hmm. give you some examples. In the last year, I've had two eight-figure exits. Those started as seven-figure business owners. We took one from 5 million valuation. Two and a half years later, we got it to $45 million and we sold it to a private equity company. And that's in two years. Wow. And so- he's going to tell people that I did that. It goes back to the referral stuff. And I've got another one at seven that we're getting into the 10 million had another one that exited at 42 million. That was a $10 million company. And so that's what I really love to do is to scale people and on an individual level to get them to think about how to play that game with a big money exit. So I think that too many people like to take that kind of credit and beat their chest on the stage. And man, I am happy to see my clients out there doing whatever industry they're doing and seeing them getting their credibility and just g- growing. Cause I know that they're going to give me credit and that's fine. Yeah. I don't have to go out there and steal it from them.
0: You know, I, I, uh, <clears throat> one of my marketing heroes was Joe Sugarman. Now he died this year. Mm. And, uh, but he, he developed the blue blocker sunglasses. He did all kinds of great stuff. And, you know, when he got up on stage, he just told stories. Yeah. And, and, you know, granted, I heard the same stories over and over and over again, but, you know, he told these stories in such an entertaining way that it, it didn't matter. I wanted to hear him again. And and and, you know, he'd get on stage behind someone else who just, you know, talked about all their accomplishments. And Joe stands up there and talks about his failures and his stories. And, yeah. and and he gets off stage and people buy all his stuff. And, and the guy who self-promoted himself doesn't sell nothing. And it just to me, I, I think every entrepreneur should be out there thinking about sharing their education you know getting people to to think about you know how they want to grow their business it's not always about money i mean no. i became an entrepreneur not because of the money not because of the fame or the fortune you know it, it was because i wanted freedom yes and, and to me that was all i wanted and and people were like yeah right bullshit. you know the money came but it came a lot longer than i mean it That's took right. me a lot longer to grow but to me, it was just, hey, I, will, I want to take a day off. I want to do this. I want to go to that. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's, I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening. And, and I want you to go to Tony. Go to his website. Uh, it's on his microphone. I'm seeing it right here. It's 365driven.com. And just learn from Tony and, and get his book. I mean, uh, Side Hustle Millionaire is a great book. I highly encourage everyone, recommend everyone read it and or listen to it on audio is is it on audio
1: it is on audio actually it's a it's an extended version on audio because i recorded a year later after it hit number one on amazon i said you know what everybody keeps asking for audio i actually recorded it myself you can hear me at 1.5 or 2.0 speed if you want i might <laughs> speak a little faster like this
0: yeah and then when you meet them you can say um speak faster <laughs> <laughs> well so this was fun tony and and For for everyone listening, please, head on over. Uh, Tony is the real deal. He's a real real e-hero, and and I appreciate him being on here. So thank you, and and, uh, for everyone else, adios. See you next time.